0: From Him who gives us the promise to make a new covenant with His people, and from Him who is the new covenant, come on, grace, mercy, and peace to each of you this evening. Amen. A small park in a small Canadian town called Oshawa stands a beautiful war memorial. It was erected to remember the sacrifice of of the many men and women who gave their lives in World War I, World War II, and the Korean War. This park is known as the Garden of the Unforgotten. In Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, there's a monument way up on the crest of a hill surrounded by Civil War cannons. And in that monument are engraved the words Peace Eternal and A Nation United along with a what they call an eternal flame. And at a table in an upper room thousands of years ago in ancient Jerusalem, there's our Savior, Jesus, who utters the immortal words, do this in remembrance of me. You see, in a very real sense, the sacrament of Holy Communion is a memorial of the unforgotten Christ, who gave His life so that we could have eternal life, so that we can have freedom, so we can be united with God our Father. But we as Lutherans know that Holy Communion is not simply a remembrance, is it? It's not something that we partake of lightly. It's not something that we go, oh yeah, I remember Christ did that for me, and walk forward. It's not to be eaten unworthily. I wonder if communion was simply remembrance, how often we would remember Jesus our Lord and how we would remember Christ our Savior. We know that Holy Communion is not that, but the real presence of Christ. Martin Luther says, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Christ in and under The bread and wine, which we Christians are commanded by Christ's words to eat and to drink. Which brings us to this holy night, as we know it as Maundy Thursday. The night we gather and remember Jesus eating the Passover with his disciples, instructing them, washing their feet. The night that he's betrayed. The night that he has his last meal the night before his execution, and all the things that occur around that meal. So Monday Thursday isn't just a remembrance. Most of the world knows Good Friday on the calendar and Easter Sunday. Not very many people know about Monday Thursday outside of the Christian community. You see, Monday is one of those words, those Latin words. It comes from the word mandatum. It means command. The reason it's called Monday Thursday is because of the command that Jesus gives his disciples after washing their feet. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Oh, but we don't hear that in Luke's account. We don't even have the washing of feet in Luke's account for that matter either. But we do have the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And in that institution, we have the mandate eat his body, and to drink his blood, and to do it in what? In remembrance of me, says Jesus. I don't know if you know, in Luke, at least in the Gospel of Luke, most of Jesus' ministry seems to be revolved around a meal. He's either eating with somebody, or going to a meal, or coming from a meal, or hosting a meal. From Simon's mother-in-law to Levi, to at least three separate occasions with the Pharisees, to Zacchaeus, to even the parables that Jesus tells. And in the Gospel of Luke, food seems to be a big deal. It's not the meal itself, though. It's what happens around that meal, which then should be no surprise that this occasion tonight in the upper room with his disciples is centered on a meal. Jesus tells his disciples go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Only this won't be an ordinary meal, will it? There will be teaching, and there will be betrayal, and there will be an advent of a new covenant. So finally, after all the preparations have been made and everything's done in that upper room, the hour came. The hour came for him to sit down and have this meal. And Jesus speaks, I have earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Reminds me of the condemned on death row that receive their last meal before they're executed. But here, Jesus isn't eating the meal. He's hosting the meal. He's serving yet again. The night before His execution, He's serving. Should that surprise us? All along, that's what He's done All along, he's served. Just because it's his last meal doesn't mean that he's going to stop serving. He says he will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I'm sure that baffled his disciples. And so what does it mean to be invited to the table of the Lord? We get invitations all the time for dinner parties, right? Make reservations for things. But this table is different. This meal is different. This isn't a one-off. Jesus, we know, is not exclusive. Even his critics complained, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That's who Jesus spends his time with. Those on the margins. Not the well, but the sick. Throughout Luke, Jesus would end up feeding crowds, eats with those sinners and tax collectors. And here at the Last Supper, Jesus is even going to feed his betrayer. How profound is that? To be invited to the table of the Lord and to be fed by Jesus means that what? Jesus desires for his people to know God's grace and his mercy that he has for them. He wants his people to know that there are people that God desires to redeem, not to shun And Jesus also does something else at this table. He reveals himself. Think for a moment. When Jesus was walking on that road to Emmaus and he encountered those two men, they had no clue who Jesus was when he sidled up next to them, did they? But when he broke the bread, when he blessed it and he gave it to them, we know that their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Jesus. That's what it means to be at its table. It's not simply a remembrance. It's a recognition. It's a renewal. What wonderful words. In the Lord's Supper, we see Jesus. We experience him. We begin to understand who he is and what he does. But a word of caution, a word of caution, this meal is not to be taken lightly. Entering in a covenant with God is not a contract that's breached without some sort of consequence. This covenant in the body and blood of Christ is a, it's a covenant of redemption. There's judgment involved. One does not have a license to sin and come and sit at this table. While Jesus invites all to His table, including His betrayer, Judas, He gives a disclaimer. In Luke 22, verses 21 and 22, Jesus says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays Me is on the table. For the Son of Man as it has been determined, goes. But woe to that man. Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. We know who the betrayer is at the table this night. It's me. It's probably one of you. Oh, yeah, Luke tells us it's Judas. What we don't know is what that woe ends up being that Jesus proclaims. You know you can't have the gospel without the law. You can't have the law without the gospel either. But we do know that Jesus' cup pours out mercy and grace. Martin Luther speaks of who is worthy and unworthy in taking the sacrament of communion. One who does not feel the weight of their sins, who feels no burden at all, is not welcome at that table. Does not come to that table without having some sort of judgment poured out on them. But the the one who feels the burden... Who feels the law on him and repents and turns, that's who Jesus welcomes up here with open arms. Because it's not a remembrance. It's a pouring out of his grace and his mercy. It's a pouring out of his forgiveness. It's a renewal. And it's a wonderful meal. A wonderful meal. Nothing we do will atone us. As the apostle Paul says. Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering of sin. Only Christ can do that on our behalf. Confident at that, then then we come to communion, repent, knowing that He who promised hope is faithful. I don't know if you knew this, but the Taj Mahal was erected in memory of a faithful and loving wife. Stanford University was built by parents to remember their deceased son. And yet nobody today that goes to Stanford knows that it was built for the son unless somebody tells them that. Nobody sees the Taj Mahal remembers that it was built for a faithful and loving wife unless somebody tells them that. So on this night in the upper room, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. You know, there's no inscription carved into a memorial that will ever be as profound as those words that Christ speaks in the institution of the Lord's Supper. Because his command to do in remembrance isn't about remembering Jesus as if he were dead. Those words to do this in remembrance of me is to remember that Christ is alive, that Christ is present with us at that table, that his promise of hope dwells in us, that Christ reveals himself to us in this meal, refreshes us, forgives us, renews us, and sends us forth to do his work. That's what remembrance is. Remembering who saved us, who came to us to die for us, so, how will we approach this table tonight. Perhaps in our lives we've been the betrayer of Christ, betraying his grace and mercy through our actions and our deeds. Perhaps we don't feel worthy of taking this meal. Perhaps we've treated this Holy Supper as simply a remembrance and thus have only come to this table very infrequently. This Monday, Thursday, we need grace now. As much today as we do on Sunday mornings, Jesus welcomes all to the table. He dines with sinners and tax collectors, and as Paul says, "And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." Now, this isn't a memorial. These words are immortal. This isn't a remembrance. This is a deliverance. This is a new covenant that helps us as a day of the law of the Lord draws near. And to God be all the glory. Amen.